Roots Racing Culture is made possible in part by the contributions to PBS Utah from listeners like you. Thank you. Hey everybody, you're listening to Roots, Race, and Culture, a new podcast from PBS Utah. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll subscribe, leave us a review, and share with your friends. All right, now let's get this thing started. Hello and welcome to Roots, Race, and Culture, where we bring you into candid conversations about shared cultural experiences. I'm Lonzo Liggins. And I'm Dana Gerald. Today we're going to uncover the roots of a fascinating and mysterious part of American history and culture. And the epicenter of this story is Ogden, Utah. Anyone who grew up in Utah should know that Ogden was once the transcontinental railroad junction city of the West, where the Union Pacific and Central Pacific railroads met. You know, Alonzo, one of the things that I noticed <laughs> when I first moved to Utah in 2003 was that people assumed that I was either a student athlete or that I was from Ogden. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's not just the Air Force Base that made Ogden so diverse. Ogden is the unofficial mecca for black history in Utah. To unravel Ogden's rich black history, we have an icon of Utah's black community, Betty Sawyer. Welcome. Betty, please take a moment to introduce yourself. Hello, Betty Sawyer. I am president of the Ogden branch of the NAACP, the nation's oldest civil rights organization, and direct the local nonprofit there as well. Oh, oh, thank yeah. you for yeah, joining us. What's the nonprofit? Us. Project Success Coalition, and we started the Utah Juneteenth Festival from Ooh, our organization yeah, there we go. 33 years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll have to hear you. more about that. Yes. Also, we have another distinguished guest with us, um, Sarah McClellan. Could you introduce yourself, Sarah? Hi, guys. My name is Sarah McClellan, and I'm the uh, executive director for Northern Utah Coalition that uh, we work with HIV, AIDS, and Hepatitis C, mm -hmm. and I'm the unofficial Ogden <laughs> historian. Oh, okay. Because I have been in Ogden for 53 years. Ooh. Nice. That's a time. So um, <laughs> we want to hear more about what you've seen as time has gone through and changed Ogden. Um, but we want to just start off. There's a lot of things to unpack here. But uh, first, we want to understand what was it that led so many black people to the state and to Ogden? What was that like and, and what happened? Well, with me, my family, I had an older sister. I'm the youngest of 11, so I throw that out there. And I had a sister that was uh, 20 years older than I was, and they came to Ogden. Her husband got out of World War II and came to Ogden in 1946. And I came to Ogden because my sister encouraged me to come. Okay, so uh, families were coming here. I have family that came here in 1946. All right. And, and that's how I happened to be in Ogden. Yeah, so black folks started migrating up from the South, because I know we know they were going to Chicago, they were going to New York. Why Utah? What, what, what brought black people specifically to Utah? Mm -hmm. I think a big part of it was the railroad as well as the military, Hill Air Force Base, mm -hmm. Dugway Proving Ground, DDO Ogden, so job opportunity like everybody else. And when they got here and didn't see anybody that looked like them, they started recruiting all their family and friends. Come to Utah, <laughs> come <Help> us. on. <laughs> because my oldest brother brought me to Utah. I never heard of Utah. And he came home for my grandfather's funeral and said, you should come to Utah, the mountains, the people. Mm -hmm. And it took me two weeks to see a black person. It's like, where am I? <laughs> and ready to go back to Maryland. So they come up here 
to mm -hmm. Utah the first time, are they accepted here? I mean, is it is it is it a struggle? Well, I would wonder why they would stay because on the railroad you're going back and forth, right? You right, know? right, right. So so they stay, they come up here, and then so so what was life like for them back then when they would when they were here? For most of them, it was pretty decent. I mean, it's discrimination, of course, was a part of it. Ogden was redlined, like a lot of the other places, restricted covenants, and so they lived in about an eight block radius mm -hmm. in those early days mm -hmm. from like 25th to about 30th mm -hmm. and below Washington Boulevard to Wall Avenue and so that's where they had to live and they made community in those few blocks. You know, you, you, chime in there? Uh, you could not uh, live above Washington Boulevard. They would not show you property above Washington Boulevard. My sister and husband bought a house in 1955 and they were not shown property above Washington mm. Boulevard. So, so that's why, it's what Betty said, they was in a certain perimeter where they all lived so that uh, was just because the of that. Yeah. So it was just a little perimeter yeah. where they would yeah. say, this mm -hmm. is us, and y'all just Was stay he up. working for the railroad when he got here? Or? Yes, he got a job, and he became a chef cook on the Union Pacific Railroad. So those are the jobs that a, a lot of black... And the porters were high-paying jobs, right? They were, and there were a lot of college students that came and got those jobs, as well as older people. Uh, people from some of our historical black colleges and universities mm -hmm. got jobs during the summer as porters and waiters, and that's how they made their money. They would go back home and go to school and come back the next summer and work for the railroad. Yeah, so outside of the porters, there probably wasn't a lot of work, I would guess. They had cooks on the railroad. You had cooks, you had porters and waiters, you had, um, I forget. Red caps. Red, red caps. caps. You had yeah, red I've caps. About that, yeah. what, what are the red caps? Remind red me. Red caps, they wore a red hat, but they would help you with your baggages and getting around the Union Pacific. Because oh. that was great, especially during World War II. It was a lot of traffic going through Ogden, mm -hmm. uh, uh, going to California and to Las Vegas. And so, what? <laughs> just to make sure for those people who've never ridden on a train or anything like that, what was it that made Ogden such an important place? Because so, so you had to get off of one train and get onto a different one or something like that. We were the hub, like you had shared. This was a junction. It was called Junction City mm -hmm. for a long time, and that was connecting the east to the west. And so Ogden was the place that they would leave to go to California and places like that. So it became a hub. Yep. A lot of folk that were on their way, whether it was to Vegas or to California, ended up in Ogden, sometimes staying over. The musicians, Count Basie and some of those guys, take mm -hmm. a gig while they're here for their layover and wow. made Ogden not just that junction, but mm -hmm. a swinging town. So well, it, within that frame, at that time, when you had all of these musicians, you had all these people coming through, so it's clear that black folks moved up here from the South, they started to you know, enjoy somewhat life in Utah, but they made a community for themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was a bustling community, apparently, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, they had some good clubs and good... Well, there was one place that I've heard of, when you saw, you say porters and waiters, mm -hmm. and um, who, someone started it. It was, yes, Miss Annabelle and her husband, Annabelle Wheatley and her husband, Billy Wheatley. Mm -hmm. uh, they started the club and they had okay. uh, residential areas too because mm -hmm. they had sleeping rooms. That's right, so they started a really popular, one of the most popular clubs in the United States. It, it was, and uh, you couldn't had a third get hotel rooms. That was used as a motel, because yeah. mm -hmm. blacks could not stay in the motels downtown. In downtown Ogden? Uh, downtown Ogden and downtown Salt, Salt, Salt Lake City. <laughs> so, oh, so that so was the, the hotel to go to. Yeah, Except um, the Royal Hotel. 
except the Royal. So the Royal Hotel and the Porters and Waiters Club were the two places that you could go. And the Royal Hotel was a was a black ho black yes. hotel. Was that as in well. Ogden as yeah. well? Leaguer mm -hmm. Davis. Mr. Davis owned the yeah. uh, Royal Hotel. And it's uh, uh, on the uh, register. And so is all of this inside of that perimeter that yeah. you guys mm -hmm. were describing? Yes. Mm -hmm. was it so where, where is this perimeter that, that, you're talk, that you speak of in, in so Ogden? Wall Avenue, the main street you come in, mm -hmm. that's 100 East. Okay. And Washington Boulevard is 400 East. So that was the space that And in between that is lived. about five uh, different. You have Grant, you have... Um, Lincoln, Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, some other little street, and Grant, and uh, some little in street in between. Okay. So between Washington and Wall, that's what you have. So mm. I, I want to um, <laughs> kind of get into what the, so a lot of people are passing through famous people, but there must have been some people who stayed who were pretty well known um, for what they contributed as well. Uh, were there any of these musicians who stuck around? Mm -hmm. I mean, how did that work? Joe McQueen, uh, we lost him a couple of years ago. He lived to be 100 years old. Wow. Uh, saxophonist. And he had come here for a gig, and as he tells us. He was us, a famous saxophonist, yes, right? Yes, very famous. Okay. He played with all of the Duke Ellington and Ooh. Count Basie and all of those folk. Mm -hmm. And the guy stiffed him on the pay, and so he ended up sticking around for a week, and the week turned into a month, and the month turned into like 75 uh, years <laughs> living in Ogden and being a part of that jazz scene for forever. Wow. Yes. That's um, amazing. Uh, any, any, uh, other type of artists besides musicians, uh, I understand there was a poet who who was also from Utah, uh, uh, Wallace Thurman. Is yes. that ring a bell? Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell and, me about him. Uh, he ended up down at the U of U, but was in the Ogden area for a while as well. So very famous, famous poet, and left his mark. Like I said, a lot of folk there, a lot of firsts that took place in Utah because we're those pioneers. Wow. Uh, you had to, just like we created community there, mm -hmm. they had to create whatever uh, part of community that they wanted to be a part of because other things weren't available. I can remember even uh, coming here uh, wanting to go out and clubs closing at midnight and I'm just getting ready to leave the house. <laughs> it's like, they're closing, you know, in the city you, you go out late. You right, know? Right, Nobody right, wants right. to be the first one out. So Sarah, I want to hear about the Royal Hotel. The Royal Hotel, I know that this is, this is a renowned hotel and I know you know a lot about it. Tell us a little bit about that hotel. Uh, a lady named is Davis. Uh, because when the folks was coming through, they didn't have anywhere to stay. Even when um, Count Basie and uh, the Duke Ellington would play in Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. they would have to leave Salt Lake City and come to Ogden after they performed in Salt Lake City in order to stay because it wasn't anywhere for them to stay in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. And we had what we call a Bamberger. And what's, a Bamberger, a Bamberger a is a streetcar. Mm -hmm. that ran on rails, uh -huh. and it would leave Salt Lake at a certain time, and that's how folks didn't have a lot of cars, and they would ride the Bamberger. Mm -hmm. the, the Bamberger <laughs> right. is a streetcar right. that came from Salt Lake to Ogden. Wow. Like a light rail. Like a light yeah. rail. <laughs> yeah. okay. But a streetcar. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a streetcar in San Francisco, but it was all the way up to Ogden. It ran to Ogden. And mm -hmm. so people like Duke Ellerton and all of them that were performed here at Hotel Utah, mm -hmm. and they would come to Ogden to stay. At the Royal And then they Hotel. were at the Royal Hotel and at the Annabelle Wheatley place at the and, and yeah. they would live there, and they would jam after that, because I just was a 
I used to go down there to Annabelle's because uh, she had a restaurant also. Time frame here. Are we, are we talking about pre-1964, before LBJ passed the Civil Rights Act, or, or what, what's the time frame? Just kind of help us understand this. From probably the mid-40s through the mm -hmm. mid-60s mm -hmm. when a lot of this yeah. was going on. Mm -hmm. so I, I like came to, to Utah in 1966. Okay. <laughs> so it was right around the time yeah. of the Civil and Rights Act. Yeah, and so we were still a lot of segregation going on. Because uh, there was an time. elementary school located in that kind of eight to ten block area, the Pingree Elementary School mm -hmm. in Ogden. So most of the folk walked to the school that was the school they went to before they were able to go to the other schools in the community. Hmm. You, earlier you mentioned to me um, that there's a, a building, a community center. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of that? The Marshall White Community Center. So for a while uh, the blacks were able to go the Wall Avenue Recreation Center okay. and it was you know, falling apart, and so the community, NAACP, and others worked together. May to I get... interject something about yes. that? Mm -hmm. th th that what she's talking about was the um, NCO club for black uh, soldiers out in the Hill Air Force Base, because the black soldiers uh, that was uh, stationed at Hill Air Force Base could not go to the NCO club on the base. Oh, it was segregated too. And so they built a place for them to come on 27th and Wall, and the black soldiers would come in to Ogden mm. uh, to wow. socialize. So I just want to throw from the black soldiers using it. <laughs> then the community, it was opened up after the soldiers left for the community to use. So as a rec center. Oh, that's and nice. when it was dilapidating and no investment, uh, the community got together, the black community, and petitioned the city as well as the federal government to get monies to build the Marshall White Center. Now, who's Marshall White? Marshall and White was a police officer, and at the time of his death, he was president of the Ogden NAACP. Mm -hmm. oh. And he was killed in the line of duty. Right and so uh, with that, when they were looking at naming the facility, his name rose to the top of the list mm -hmm. to honor him in naming. And up until about three years ago, the Marshall White Center was the only public building in the state of Utah named after an African-American. Oh, wow. Yes. That is really great. Yes. And so... And there's another one, too. Yes. We're, 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 Jackson Elementary School here in Salt Lake, they recently named uh, a particular school after one of the educators that was there for many, many years. Okay. And so, you know, with the Marshall White Center, we're going into another phase and are looking to get a brand new facility built. Oh, so they're they're redoing the it. city has agreed and you know, like anything else, make sure the money stays where it needs to stay, so send money. And um, but they're scheduled to close the building this spring to mm -hmm. start uh, demolition and building a new facility and as a part of our community efforts it was important for it to stay on the same footprint that the existing center in that inner city of Ogden mm -hmm. and keep the name of Marshall White continue to honor his legacy with yeah. that facility. So uh, after the civil rights um, civil rights bill passes what was Ogden like after post-segregation? I mean was was how, how did life transform for black folks? What do you think, Sarah? Uh, uh, one of the things, housing's changed, mm -hmm. because at one time you could only live in, a, in that certain area. Mm -hmm. um, because they had two villas, I don't know if you know, heard about Sahara Villa and Arsenal Villa, that was government housing that only blacks could live in, in Roy, Utah, mm -hmm. and one was on Antelope Drive. Mm -hmm. and blacks lived there. My sister and her family in the 40s and the 50s lived in Arsenal Villa in mm -hmm. 
in Roy, Utah. Mm. There wasn't nothing different in Arsenal Village but black folks. And it was it was on Antelope Drive, like as you're and going was, out to no, the Great No, it was Salt another Lake. one called Sahara Villa on Antelope, Antelope Drive. Mm. Okay. <laughs> it was two of them. <laughs> so was it, I, I grew up in Salt Lake. I, I spent very little time in Clearfield. My father came out here from the military back in '86. At the time, I remember there was like all an all-black community, a smaller all-black community. You don't see that in Salt Lake City. Right. You see it primarily in, in Ogden. Is that still the thing today? Is there still like a, a black community where, where a lot of a black lot people of live? Or are they still scattered? there, but it is scattered, just mm -hmm. like any other community. When housing opened up in other areas, mm -hmm. we don't have to live here anymore. We can go out and venture out in North Ogden, South Ogden. A lot of folk moved into the Davis County area as well because they had newer housing stock and things of that nature but when you were talking about that transition it's almost like today just because they changed the law they don't mean it changed nobody's it did, it mind change. so, yeah. right. so <laughs> there was still discrimination going yeah. on even though it was illegal right, for right, it right. to happen but mm -hmm. you know people had ways of keeping you from getting a house above Washington or in certain right. areas Mr. Gillespie talks about when he bought his home out in Washington Terrace someone put a bomb in his mailbox Ooh. you know and that was Gillespie? House on James Gillespie. Oh, James he, Gillespie, He okay. was NAACP president for about 30 years in Ogden, mm -hmm. but, you know, people weren't ready for it yet. Well, there's always a lot of arts and things in a community like that when we ever, whenever we get together. So, are there any other institutions besides, you know, the those hotels and that sort of thing, theaters or other things that, that people were doing to create, you know, black history in Ogden, Utah? Well, the church was a big part of that, and we did everything at church. You know, the cooking went on at church, the dances, the plays, okay. all of those things. So church became a very central part. And even in Ogden's inner city, that area, there's still probably seven or eight predominantly African-American churches that are still oh, wow. in that same space. And so that became a big part of it. And then just arts in general, you know, over the years, uh, several art companies uh, nurtured the creative mind that was working with young people to do artwork. We have some poet collectives and things of that nature, just trying to keep culture alive. Mm, that's great. Um, well, we actually have um, two sisters who are creating black history today in Ogden, Utah, um, with a theater company. Lonzo, right. you, you're familiar yeah, with them. The You've good, worked with them. It's, it's Alicia Washington and uh, Camille Washington. Yes. They started this great uh, black theater company up in uh, Ogden called Good Company Theater. I've done a few plays there. Um, great to work with. They do a lot of cutting edge uh, new stuff and they actually, uh, one of the sisters, Camille Washington, made a video for us explaining a little bit more about what they actually do. So why don't we go ahead and watch that and, and yes. uh, we can talk about it after. Hi, my name is Camille Washington and I am the co-director of Good Company Theater. We are located in downtown Ogden. Originally, the idea was to be in Ogden because it's where we're from. Ogden has a great history of cultural production. It's a great performing arts town, and it just felt like a really approachable place to start a contemporary theater space. On the whole, the, the unique challenges that we've had have to do with us being black women, uh, us being the people who are here, we administrate the entire theater. So we make all of the creative decisions. We manage the facility. Uh, we plan the calendar. We raise the funds. We we do it all. And, and there have been a lot of uh, people that we've interacted with, organizations that we've interacted with that aren't used 
to seeing black people, black women specifically in positions of power and, and in just in the arts making their own decisions. Something that's really exciting about Ogden is that we are the home of the Marshall White Center, which is the only civic building in the state of Utah dedicated to a black man. Uh, it is getting ready to undergo renovations. It's in a historically black neighborhood, Ogden's historically black neighborhood, and it's just an important center for the black community and for all, for all communities in Ogden. One of the heroes I have who is a fixture in the black community in Ogden is Sarah McClellan, Miss Sarah. She is the founder of the Northern Utah Coalition, which she started about 25 years ago to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS in the black community here. Good Company Theater develops and promotes high quality, eclectic theatrical productions and events, forging new relationships between audiences, performers, and spaces in the process. That was great. Wow. An honor. Looks like she, 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 you're her hero. How does that feel? Yes. Do you know her? You know, you know Camille, right? Yeah, I know Camille. I know her sister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I've been around Ogden, and <laughs> I was, um, I've been doing in the community for the last forty years. I got the YWCA award uh, back here. When was that, Betty? Whatever that was. But yeah. yeah, I've been around. I've been around for a long time. You two yeah. ladies are legends in your own right, <laughs> and you're. One of the things that I always think about uh, from experiences that I've had traveling and things is that, you know, black history is also American history. Definitely. You know, mm -hmm. and, and my, you know, my family was part of the great migration from Mississippi to Chicago, right? Yeah. We were all in Chicago. And I just never would have known <laughs> <laughs> so much culture could be found in Utah, in Ogden, that I could relate to. So I thank you all for your contributions so much. Yeah, absolutely. So today, you know, what would you want us to know about present day Ogden history? Why don't we start with you, Betty, and then we can close up with you. You got about a minute and a half each. Okay. <laughs> I would say that Ogden is still a vibrant community, mm -hmm. and like any other community and inner city, it needs that investment to keep dreams and hopes alive. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do as a part of our organization. That's our motto, keeping hope alive. So we want people to know that it's a place to invest, and we're excited about what's going to happen with the Marshall White Center and how we can make that that center and heartbeat of Ogden again where arts, athletics, you know, most of our big time athletes have been in and through the Marshall White Center. Most of our young people got their first jobs mm -hmm. at the Marshall White Center as coaches mm -hmm. and running the after school programs and things of that nature. And that's what's needed now to continue to build community. So if people want to donate to that or help that, how can they help that cause? They can reach out to Ogden City Recreation mm -hmm. or the Ogden branch in AACP and we would definitely keep them and make them make those connections for them, for this new, improved Marshall White Center yes. in the heart of Ogden. Awesome. Yes. All right, what do you say? I'm, to piggyback on Betty, what Betty's saying, I go along with her, but I've seen Ogden grow because when I came to Ogden, there was a, in 1966, I saw a lot of, I've seen a lot of changes, especially when I first came to Ogden, the Offian Theater that's no longer exists, Blacks could not sit on the floor. We had to sit up in the um, in the balcony, mm -hmm. and I've seen that change. So I've seen a lot of changes taking place as far as uh, 
the segregation and uh, for us coming together as a group of people. I, um, I, it used to be more divided, but I see in later years, I see more togetherness with all of the different races. I, I'm hoping that would continue because we still have a long way to go. I still see there's still a lot of segregation. Mm -hmm. And I, as they said somewhere that 11 o'clock is the most segregated part of the Sunday. of the week mm -hmm. on that 11 o'clock on Sunday mm -hmm. because we don't go to the same churches. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see us become more together because right. there's still a lot of uh, segregation going on um, in, um, in, in Ogden. And uh, especially for the young folks, because with the young people, they do not know a lot about their history. And that's why I guess I became the unofficial historian. And I talked to other young folks about it because they don't have a lot of history of who they are and where their folks came from, because that wasn't taught a lot in the public schools in, uh, in the Ogden. Uh, school district. Yep. So I would like to see more of that take place and more to get the young folks to know who they are because you need to know who you are before you can know where you're going. Absolutely. We'll get back to this conversation on roots, race, and culture in just a moment. PBS Utah is also home to other dynamic podcasts. More than half covers some of the most challenging issues facing women in Utah and how it takes all of us to make change happen. Here's a clip from the episode, A Separate Space. I don't think a lot of people realize that it's just not common for people of color, especially women of color, to see themselves in the stories that, you know, we're reading. Subscribe to More Than Half wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to Roots, Race, and Culture from PBS Utah. All right, folks, we are back. Yeah, welcome uh, back. We're going to do our podcast episode yeah, next in this, and uh, let's jump right back into it. We were talking about, we're going to talk about a few topics that we were just talking about a second ago, but um, there was an event that happened here that's kind of a, a, a dark stain in, in Utah's past. Uh, it was about 1973, I want to say, somewhere around that time. It was the hi-fi murders. You know, a few black men went into a mm -hmm. hi-fi shop and murdered some people. One, well, two in particular. And it was a big, huge news story. It was a pretty grisly mm -hmm. thing that happened. And it affected the black community negatively here. I know when I moved, when, when we first got here back in the 80s, my father said it still, you know, affects us now because it was, he was being treated differently by white people because they viewed all black people as these three guys that went in and did this, this crime. Mm -hmm. Could you both speak on that and how that affected the black community at the time? It did. I moved here in 75, and mm -hmm. so it was still at the height of all of this, and they were still having court cases, and every year on that anniversary, and so people looked at you differently, treated you differently, mm -hmm. and especially black males mm -hmm. had a really challenging time, even things around finding jobs and, and all of that, it, mm -hmm. it impacted kind of all aspects of life, mm -hmm. going into stores, you know, getting followed steel or not even warning you in their stores. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
My son was, I had a, my stepson, he was 16 or 17, mm -hmm. and he got his first car, and they kept pulling him over because he was a black male. Mm -hmm. And it was got to, to the point I had to call the uh, South Ogden Police Department and threaten them because he could not come through the Washington Terrace. We lived in the Terrace, Washington Terrace. Mm -hmm. He could not come through there without being pulled over, and they couldn't explain why they was pulling him over mm -hmm. for no infraction at all. And so, it was a lot of that um, going on yeah. uh, with the long? black males during that time. They just assumed that all black males were like Pierre, and that was the guy name of the, one of the guys that did a lot of the murder in, in that high five. His name was Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, how long did it take for this to settle? And do you know what would you say? Maybe uh, finally. I don't know if it's settled or not. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. I yeah. uh, is you, and you know, there's still there's still things going on with Africa. American all over the United States, but it's the sure. same here yeah. as it was uh, uh, being. Uh, I know it was 10 years, because when we got at here, least, and we were still talking about When the execution, you know, the last person, the last gentleman, mm -hmm. so throughout all that time, so every year or every time there was a court case mm -hmm. or a news story, it just brought all of that back up again. Mm -hmm. And it would take another year for it to kind of settle down a little bit, mm -hmm. and then it would be the anniversary again. So for That's me, that went on for, for a very long time, at least 10 or so years. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. You would think people would move here and not know anything about it, then all of a sudden, it comes it up, comes up, and then mm -hmm. they find out about it, and then it's yeah. just it's just like a cycle that just keeps resurrecting yeah. itself. It was very tense during that time. I was here because I came in '66, so yeah. I was here when that happened, wow. and it was very tense. It was you know with the police department, and they were military and, too. Yeah, uh -huh. and, and so mm -hmm. that brought in a whole nother you yeah, know because was, uh, we had this big military presence, yeah. and so can we trust any of them? These are supposed to be here to right. protect and help us out, and right. and mm -hmm. all of that. So it was a lot of dichotomies of how people were responding to this. Yeah. So let's talk about um, business development in uh, Ogden because, you know, at that time, you know, in the early days, it was a thriving community. Must have been a lot of businesses to keep things going because people had to be there. Yes. How's, how's, how's that worked itself out? Hardly any now. You can count the black businesses mm -hmm. on half of your hand mm -hmm. that oh, still exist. There was a time where there were several beauty shops and barber shops on 25th Street. Mm -hmm. Big Apple Record and Tapes was on 25th Street. <laughs> uh, everything wow. because we had to create and build our own community mm -hmm. and we don't have a restaurant or eatery mm -mm. in Ogden mm -mm. anymore. No. Mm -mm. Uh, really? We, we had two lost. barbers, you know, we had, uh, yeah. Willie Moore had a barbershop there for mm -hmm. 62 years, uh, uh, Smitty, yep. uh, yeah. uh, he had a barbershop, uh, we had all kinds of different things. That's and American Legion post number 66 yes. was the place that we did all our uh, uh, socializing. It was the club. Oh, okay. But oh, they American opened Legion? it up for everything. Uh, yeah. Christmas. I was thinking and looking through some old photographs, mm -hmm. and everyone took their kids to the American Legion mm -hmm. during the day on Christmas Eve because they had a big party for the kids. Mm -hmm. Mr. Isaac Burton mm -hmm. dressed up as Santa Claus. Wow. And they had the place for themselves for a few hours to enjoy, get presents, have a meal, oh, and, and those things don't happen anymore. And also, they was responsible. They worked a lot with the black youth mm -hmm. um, for Upward Bound. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you I remember, remember that who program. remember Upward, Upward Bound? Bound? Boy I, State, I Boy State. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And every summer we had a picnic 
down at the uh, with a train station, yep. not the train, the, the the train. You remember yeah, the Union the Pacific train yep. that was on 36 and Wall. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was a train that was converted into a restaurant. Mm -hmm. is, that, mm -hmm. is that what it was? No, it was just a train. The train set train. out there, John Athlete Park. John oh, Athlete yeah. Park, John and Athlete that Park. was yeah. it, and that was owned by a family called John Athlete. And oh. they uh, had a lot of converts because they sold it to, uh, and it wasn't ever supposed to be sold. But anyway, they oh. used to have a picnic. Yeah, and there was another family that I heard about, the Kelly family, but maybe, did we talk about them, the Kelly family? He ran, um, Mr. Willard Kelly uh, ran the American Legion yeah. mm -hmm. for, for many, many years, probably yeah. mm -hmm. over 40 years. Mm -hmm. And so his family, he still has family in Ogden, his, and his wife had passed away. But yeah, he was a commander at mm. the American Legion. And they had the Masonic Lodge uh, as well, and they did a lot of uh, outreach. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, number twenty, yep. uh, large, uh, number twenty, always did the uh, Easter egg hunt for the kids yeah. at the Marshall White Center. Offered scholarships. Yeah, they did the scholarship kids. for the kids, and we don't have that anymore. I don't know what happened to the uh, Masonics uh, yeah. and the Eastern Star. People got oh, older. My and great young grandmother was an Eastern Star. Yeah. Oh, she was just talking about people got older and the young folks didn't want to join them. Yeah, right. right. Well, that, that, what are young people? That, it's like there's no community opportunities like that anymore. So they're all on Snapchat. That's it. They're in the house. And they hand going like this. Do something. Snapchat's not cool anymore. Always have. I can't keep up with all of them. They would always do a function at the. Kiwanis Club. You know what a mm -hmm. Kiwanis Club yeah. is? Yeah. Uh, uh, we would always have a big Easter, I mean, a New Year's Eve party, and they would cook breakfast for us, the Masonics and wow. the, uh, the American Legion folks. Mm -hmm. And we don't, they don't do that anymore. Man, I, I wish I was living in Ogden back in those <laughs> days. Man, Look, it sounds like a good time. I just want to get my bald head cut by uh, Willie Moore in his barber shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a young guy that he trained uh, ended up keeping the name uh, Moore's Barbershop Frankie. Did he? Yes. Nice. And as a matter of fact, uh, with our Juneteenth program, we decided to do honor Mr. Moore, and we started the Willie Moore Barber Battle. And we also <laughs> honored a barber that was in Salt Lake that was a longstanding one, did all the jazz uh, players' hair and all of that, Mr. Nice. Billy Mason. And so we had the Willie Moore and Billy Mason Barber Battle. And the ladies oh, got upset, so we had to add a braid competition <laughs> to it. And, so and this is all happening on Juneteenth? This happens that Sunday at Juneteenth. And you're the legend of Juneteenth. Okay, now let's, let's, let's go back, <laughs> let's because we up. know that you were one of the, the, the pioneers of mm -hmm. Juneteenth in, in, in Ogden, in Utah. Yeah, in Utah, I try to keep it alive. Okay, <laughs> so t take us back. How did that start? And how did you? Uh, how did the battle start to get that here in Utah? Uh, some people, a lot of folk from Texas had moved to Utah as well, a part of that migration. Yes. And so they brought that with them because, as you know, Juneteenth wasn't celebrated in Maryland. Mm -mm. <laughs> that, that wasn't for us. We had Kente Kunte Day, you know, <laughs> other, other kinds of things going on. And so they brought the celebration here. And I went to a Juneteenth, my first Juneteenth celebration at Jordan Park over in West Salt Lake mm -hmm. with the NAACP and OIUIC. And the next year, I was working in the governor's office, director of black affairs, and Lenoris Bush said, Betty, come be on the committee. So I said, okay, I'll come check it out. And like two weeks before Juneteenth, the committee members that supposed to have reserved the park 
mm. didn't reserve the park. Uh -oh. And they had nowhere to have Juneteenth. They were going to cancel it. And I'm like, how do you cancel Juneteenth? Yeah. It's going to come whether we do anything <laughs> or not. Right. And one of my friends was the director of the Marshall White Center, Maurice Boynes. Uh, Good to know Maurice so, White. White, Maurice White. Good to know people. I called him up and said, Maurice, we need somewhere to do this Juneteenth. Because the Marshall White Center sits on almost five acres of land, and it's a big park oh, nice. next to the building. Mm -hmm. And so he said, sure, come on up. And so we went up to Ogden and had a flatbed truck and made it happen. Mm. And so after that, he says, we need to keep having it in Ogden. We don't need everything in Salt Lake. But if you know anything about being in Utah, that rivalry between <laughs> Salt Lake and Ogden, and, and, and being the person that I am, I would do an event in Ogden and Salt Lake. So we would do Friday in Salt Lake, and then we would go to Ogden on that Saturday and do the celebration. I did that for about 15 years, mm -hmm. doing back and forth that got old yeah. real quick. Yeah. And so then we just left Ogden as the main venue. Mm. And during that time, I also had the opportunity to meet Dr. Ronald Myers, who led the national, he's president of the National Juneteenth Foundation. Mm. And so he recruited me to be on the board of the National Juneteenth. Wow. And so we continued to make it happen and work to get legislation on a national level to make it a holiday. We worked on that for about 25 years mm. and Whoa, then kept working. National per treasure. Perseverance, you yes. know. <laughs> but then worked on getting it as a holiday in Utah, and we tried three times, and the third time was a charm, and now we have a state holiday for nice. Juneteenth. Whoa, yeah. thank, thank you. you. Thank Very you. Impressive. Being from Texas, I just greatly appreciate your efforts because I get to continue to celebrate Juneteenth even yes. living in Utah. In Utah, and people don't believe it when I go places like Utah, yeah. and I, you know, take great pride and don't count us short. We do things in Utah. Here, right? it, is. it really is. Growing up as a kid, it was always go out to Ogden. That's where yeah. the Juneteenth celebration is popping. Yes. I remember people used to tell me that, but to know that you were the one who was a pioneer behind that is, is something yeah. special. And now we have Juneteenth celebration all over the place so all now everybody wants to do Juneteenth and we want them all to do it right. and mm -hmm. I'm looking for my replacement so somebody can take this and take it to the next level take the reins yeah. you know, I forgot to ask you Sarah is there a, 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 if people are interested in finding more about more about what you're doing is there somewhere they can go for your uh, your, your coalition to, to find out more info well I'm pretty well known around Ogden but I don't you know well you know outside of Ogden uh, people are interested in, in contributing well, or doing more yeah, for they can do it with the through me, my name, or either Northern Utah Coalition. Mm -hmm. I have been, I started that organization in 1997, mm -hmm. uh, really 96, and I've been doing it. And my main focus is, at that time, HIV was quite prevalent, mm -hmm. and nobody was doing anything about it. And a lady named uh, Reverend Shirley Jones was here at that time, mm -hmm. and we started, we got our first grant to start working with HIV, mm -hmm. and uh, from that, I started the Northern Utah Coalition, mm -hmm. and that's what I do, and I'm always looking for donations or volunteers, and I've been doing it since 1997. Mm -hmm. And I've and I just added hepatitis C, because there's a lot of the um, folks that have hepatitis C do not know they have hepatitis C. Mm -hmm. And there's now a cure for hepatitis C if you can afford it. Right. But, uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. but um, and, and so that's what I do, and I've been doing it for 
since 97. Wow. So okay. being a volunteer would be would, would consist of what? Uh, well, I to work in an office. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm always looking for a volunteer because there's always things to do around my office. I have a office on 727 24th Street, mm -hmm. and there's always help with volunteers. And yeah. your walk. Always, always. Tell them about your, your uh, walk. Oh, my walkathon. Yes. I do an AIDS <laughs> walkathon. The second. Um, week in August, mm -hmm. okay. and we do an AIDS walkathon, and we mm -hmm. do it at the um, uh, park along MTC Park. Uh, what's the name of it? MTC Park. Okay. MTC Park. Is that the that's Mormon a... Trish Missionary? No, no, no. 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 I don't know. I mean, that's what management training training corporation. Management training corporation. I've been bugged. The funniest thing is, I thought for the longest time people would say MTC, MTC, and I thought they were saying Mormon Tabernacle Choir, which they don't. <laughs> Call that Madden anymore, but they were like, no, the missionary training center. I'm like, it's too many of these things. I don't want to. Too many MTCs. <laughs> you, know, you know what the great thing about this is? Is that we're here today discussing Ogden Black History, and you two are a big, huge part yes. of Ogden Black History. Yes. So you are, you know, among the greats in Ogden. Because so. I have a little uh, museum, Black Museum, down at the Union Station. Because mm -hmm. the, the 125th uh, year for the Union Pacific mm -hmm. was about two years ago yep. or three years yep. ago. Okay. And so I did, we did a lot with that. And I do have a little display. Oh, uh, that that you don't have. Right. Oh, just playing photos <laughs> for the yes. uh, red caps about yeah, the workers the because they, they, they had to realize that the black workers is what made the Union Pacific great. The cooks, yeah. the waiters, yeah. the red Rich, caps, yeah. and all of that was part of that. Stellar so, service, stellar service. Top, so I, we know we talked a lot about that, and also I have a little display down at the Union Pacific on that. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've heard that the. Black people, we, we used to be really, really good cooks back in the 30s, 40s. That's why they made, like, when they have the, the advertisements that showed Uncle Ben's and, and Aunt Jemima's, mm -hmm. because they wanted, not because they wanted to, you know, show off black folks, but because they wanted to say, hey, this, is, this, this was created by someone who, who was a really good cook. And, uh, yeah, I heard that. And the, the red caps must be, like, the sky caps mm -hmm. for the railroad. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, handlers. Okay, so that's where they get that term, the sky cap, because at the time it was red caps, and then they switched over to sky. Okay, that makes sense I think I yeah, no, I got a picture of, of the red cap. Oh, we, we're on podcast now. Yeah, yeah. I, said, but, uh, I keep pointing over there, and I see myself. <laughs> Not well, me. I, I wasn't a red cap. I no. enjoyed. The, I, I rode the train from Utah to Washington D.C. once, the Amtrak, Ooh. and I'm gonna tell you that is an underrated mode of transportation. It is so enjoyable riding the train. So, I, I mean, it sounds like that was just like a high-class experience yeah, back then. It was. Yeah. And they had different levels depending on how much cash you had, mm. you know, where you were seated and what kind of services you received on the plane. Someone was asking me, why did they need a laundry? You know where they have the laundry? Yeah. We have a building that just the laundry been sitting there for years. Mm -hmm. And someone wanted to know what did they do? I said, they, they, they all of the workers wore white coats. Mm -hmm. mm. All of the, we, if you ever rode the train, all, all right. of the tables had white linen cloths on them and white mm. linen napkins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> white glove service. <laughs> so they were wondering why did they need a, and then you had sleeper, you could get oh, a sleeper. Right, sleeper right. car. A sleeper car, and they had to do the linen of that because that when I came to Utah, that was big business. That laundry was uh, in full swing. That's a lot yeah. of jobs, I've seen. Yeah, I would mm -hmm. imagine. Mm -hmm. All right, ladies, we're going to wrap it up. Get, okay. get, get us to, you know, get us out of here. And it was such a, <laughs> pleasure having okay. you on the show and uh, 
learned so much and, and, and it was a great experience. We want to thank you both, uh, Sarah McClellan and Betty Sawyer. Yes, thank you thank for, you. Who you are for and having everything us. you do. Thanks. Ogden Legends. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Roots, Race, and Culture. Check out our website for even more content, including interviews with some pretty dope BIPOC business owners. You can find all that in a bag of chips at pbsutah.org roots. And you'd be doing us a solid if you told all your friends about our show. But until next time, y'all, we are out. <laughs>